with you. Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have them on your phone, it will also be up here on the screen as well. Um, turn to Mark chapter 16, the uh, resurrection narrative out of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 16, just going to look at the first eight verses. And then we're going to look at one verse in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. So if you have your Bibles or you're going to flip to it on the phone, Mark 16, Romans chapter 4. Again, it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me. Mark 16, this is the uh, resurrection account of narrative from the perspective uh, of, of Mark. And so let's read this text, 16, verse 1. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome went and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. I think that's an interesting Statement, and I'll come back to Peter uh, in a little bit, but I, I don't think it was an accident that Mark said, go back and tell the other disciples, including Peter, I'll talk about him later, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And then the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. And then we'll get one other verse, Romans chapter 4. Verse 25. One verse, Paul writes these words. He was handed, speaking of Jesus, he was handed over to God because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Holy Spirit, I just pray these next few moments together as we take just a few moments to walk through this resurrection account. Lord, as we examine very carefully the implications what it means for us that Christ is risen. I just ask in these two minutes that we spent together this morning, may you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear clearly the Word of God. We know today that the Word is alive, it is powerful, it is true. So may this Word speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us this morning, challenge our hearts. God, it's my prayer not only for myself, for every person that's present today, I ask and I pray that we would walk out of this room different than how we came in. I pray that we would walk out of here changed and transformed. I pray that we would walk out of here with the desire and the satisfaction to reflect the character of Christ in all that we do. Lord, help us to see clearly the truth of your word this morning. God, help me to speak your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity. God, as I pray every single week, help me to decrease and help you to increase and be the focus of our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
this morning. Now today marks the greatest day, really, in all of human history. Today, Resurrection Sunday is the centerpiece of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ is really the centerpiece of the Christian faith. I won't test you at all, but if I were to say this morning, He is risen, I think the proper response is, He is risen indeed. Now all four Gospels, and I'm not going to take the time this morning to examine each Gospel account very specifically. We're, we're focusing our attention on Mark's Gospel this morning, but every Gospel account, every Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give their account of the resurrection and narrative. Let me just kind of summarize, kind of pulling together all four gospel writers and really summarize the events of this particular morning. We know that the event of the resurrection, it took place early on Sunday morning. How many of you are, are early risers? How many of you love to sleep in? We're about half and half, okay? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reason that there are some churches that, that have um, sunrise services, early morning services. Actually, our, our campus in Muncie, um, just due to trying to allow space, they had a 7.30 a.m. service. So, worship team members had to arrive at 6.30 a.m. How many of you are thankful you didn't have to arrive that early uh, this morning for service? But, but the event of the resurrection took place early on Sunday morning, following the conclusion of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was from, would begin at sundown, and would take place until sunrise. And then it would end. We see from our text that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary headed toward the tomb. They, they, went, to the, they went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. It was part of the custom, part of the tradition. With somebody that had died, they wanted to take the spices and the herbs to anoint properly the body of Jesus. That was part of their burial custom. Upon their arrival, though, Mary and Mary Magdalene, when they arrived at the tomb, they noticed something that brought shock upon them. The stone that was blocking the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away, and Jesus' body was gone. Now, if you put yourself in the shoes of those women in that first century, I think at least our, our initial thought, and it was a thought of many in that day, was somebody came and stole the body of Jesus. It's gone. It's missing. It's not here. What's happened? But when those women arrived, they were shocked because they found this large stone that had been rolled away and Jesus' body was gone. But then the women experienced this angelic announcement that declared that he, Jesus, was not dead, but alive. How many are thankful that Jesus is alive? Amen. And so they discovered very quickly that Jesus' body had not been stolen, but instead Jesus was no longer dead, he was alive. And actually he had gone ahead of his disciples, as he said he would earlier in the Gospels, to the city or to the area of Galilee. So the ladies, they rushed and they reported this news to Peter and the other disciples who quickly rushed to the tomb to see with their own eyes the empty tomb. It's very interesting in the narrative accounts of the Gospels, in some of those accounts we see that Peter and John, uh, John actually gets to the tomb first, so there's almost this foot race going on. Peter and John are, are rushing to get to the empty tomb. John gets there first, but he just kind of stands outside of the tomb and he hears and he looks and he doesn't go in. He just kind of examines the empty tomb from 
the outside, but Peter, the man who was always quick to speak and always um, usually saying things before he really thought about what he was saying, Peter, he didn't stop. He passed on and he ran right into the tomb to see that there were no there was no body present, that the grave clothes were left behind. Jesus then, after his resurrection, if you read the gospel accounts, Jesus then begins to appear to his disciples and several other people, people prior to his ascension, prior to returning to the Father. We see this in Luke's account. Luke chapter 24, the story where Jesus will uh, appear with two disciples who are on their way to the city of Emmaus that they're talking about the things that just happened in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, this man uh, appears as Jesus, but they didn't recognize his resurrected body. Jesus is, is listening in on the conversation, talking about what just happened in Jerusalem. Jesus will appear to Thomas. Remember, Thomas was, uh, was the one who doubted this, this whole event, and, and he wanted to see and he wanted to touch uh, the wounds of Jesus. He wanted to put his, his hand in, in where Jesus, is, um, Jesus had been nailed to the cross. He wanted to touch Jesus for himself. We know this morning that the entire Christian faith, it hinges on this historically proven and biblically supported event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrected Christ, and I want you to hear this this morning, without the resurrection, all of humanity is still dead in our sins. If the resurrection is only a fictional tale, all we have to live for is the here and now. We have no hope of eternal life. If the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, we, we can live our best life here and now, but we have nothing to look forward to. We have nothing to look forward to when it comes to spending eternity with Christ. Yet we believe that Christ was raised for us. We believe that that has incredible value and enormous worth for all of God's creation. John Piper wrote these words. It says, the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. And Paul says it like this. We read it in our opening text, Romans 4, 25. He, Jesus, was handed over to God because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with him. Christ raised for us has several vital implications that forever change and transform our life. I want to just finish a couple of minutes, I won't be long this morning, sharing with you those vital implications for why the resurrection is so important. Number one, Christ raised for us reveals that God keeps his word. How many are thankful this morning that we can trust the word of God? He says that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And we see that the resurrection is proved to us today that God will always be faithful to his word. We know that the Old Testament prophets, and I would encourage you to go through and read the Old Testament, and I know sometimes it's a little bit challenging, but the Old Testament prophets, several hundred years before Christ was even born, they hinted at the resurrection of Jesus. Look at what Isaiah says, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. 
Speaking of new life, speaking of resurrection, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah is writing these words 700 years even before Jesus is born, and he's hinting at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God is true to his word. We also see that Jesus, even before his own death, multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus will speak of his coming crucifixion, his burial, uh, and his resurrection. He will say this in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But listen, three days later, he would rise from the dead. So even Jesus, before his crucifixion, before his death, even Jesus is hinting at the, at the reality of a resurrection. Therefore, Jesus' words can be trusted. Even during his post-resurrection appearances, Jesus connected what took place to what the Scriptures had said years before. I, I refer to Jesus and, and when he talked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Listen to what he said. Jesus said to them, they were talking back and forth, trying to understand what just happened in Jerusalem. We thought this was the Messiah. We thought he was going to be the one, and now he's dead, and there's all of these conversations happening. But then this is what Jesus said to those that did not recognize him the moment. You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? So then what did Jesus do? Jesus began taking them through the writings of Moses, that's the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, he, he began to walk through the prophets and the writings of Moses. And what Jesus was doing is he was explaining the scriptures to them. What Jesus was saying is, my word is true. A word is true. What I, what I said in the Old Testament, what I said in the law, what I said through the prophets is in reality it is proof. It can be trusted. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ today is proof. It is proof to you, it is proof to me that God's word can absolutely indeed be trusted. Paul presented this truth as gospel. He said to the Corinthians, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me, Christ says, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. What Paul was saying to the Corinthians that day, he, he was saying to them that God's word absolutely be trusted. He was buried just as the scriptures said. He was raised just as the scriptures said. So what does this imply for you and for me? It implies this, that we can always trust God's word. He is faithful to keep his promises. What are the promises in Scripture? There's so many. I don't know if that's another sermon. I don't have time to, to point you to all the promises of God's word. There's the promise of his provision. Promises to provide for his children. Promises his protection. See that in Psalm 23, in reference to here just a minute again, the day where I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear the evil, for thou art with me, thy God and thy staff, the comfort. We have a promise that he longs to save us, rescue us, and redeem us. He did that at the cross. We just have to trust in his saving work. So the implication is this. We can absolutely count on God today. I know there are some times that there may be people in our life that we can always count. 
I know there are people that maybe disappoint us, people that don't hold true to their promises, or they don't follow through, they don't do what they said they're going to do. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we can absolutely, with certainty and with assurance and confidence, we can trust the Word of God. He will always follow through with what He says and with what He promises. The resurrection is proof today that God's Word can be trusted. Number two, Christ raised for us offers the believer an incredible hope. I am so thankful for the empty tomb because it gives you, it gives me, it gives all of humanity an incredible hope. Hope of what? Hope, first of all, of a present helper. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our is our advocate, our counselor, our helper, the one who leads us into all truth. And, and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus makes possible the Holy Spirit in our lives today. This helper, as Paul will say, is our guarantee, is our down payment of all that God has in store for His children. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised, and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did that so we would praise Him and glorify Him. This same helper, the Holy Spirit, and this might be my favorite point this morning, it allows us, the Holy Spirit allows us to walk in victory over sin now. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can live inside of us, and that same Spirit can allow you and me to have victory over sin now. We don't have to be controlled by the flesh. We don't have to be controlled uh, by, by the nature of the flesh. Instead, we can walk in the power of the Spirit, which allows us, in resurrection power, which allows us to have victory over sin now. We don't have to wait until we see, when we see Him face to face, we will experience perfection. But, but we can walk in the power of the Spirit, and we can have mastery over sin and temptation in our life. Now listen to what Paul says, Romans 8. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Jumping down to verse 11, the Spirit of God, listen to this, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Folks, we can walk in the power of the Spirit. We can have mastery over sin and temptation in our life, not by trusting in our, in our flesh or in our carnal nature, but we can do so by trusting in the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of us, and we can have victory. How many of you think we can have victory now in Jesus Christ. The resurrected Christ makes possible victory today. The Holy Spirit can only come when the resurrected Christ ascends. Jesus will actually say to his disciples, because the disciples, they, they want Jesus to hang around. And this guy's pretty cool. He does some incredible miracles. He heals the blind. He raises a dead man, Lazarus, back to life. I mean, that's, that's pretty pretty phenomenal. And so, so when Jesus talks about having to leave, having to return to the Father, uh, I can understand the disciples and anybody else that, that witnessed the miracles of Jesus, I can understand the emotion at a time when I mean, they want Jesus to stay. 
They want to hang out with this man. They don't, they don't, that, that's why we hear James and John when they go to the top of the mountain with Jesus and Jesus is transfigured before them with Elijah and Moses. That's why Peter will speak up and, and really speak before he thinks. But that's why he will speak very quickly. He says, let's stay here. Let's build shelters. Let's build homes. Let's not go back down the mountain where the mess is and the chaos is happening. But we want to stay here because this is good. So I can understand the disciples and the followers of Jesus when Jesus said, I have to return to the Father. They're, they, they don't want to be distant from him. They want to hang out with this guy. But Jesus says, unless I, if, if I don't go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit cannot come. It was in the, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but it was in the ascension of Jesus. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, it was in that moment that it made possible the coming of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. Not only do we have the hope of the Spirit, but we have hope of a future glory. Joshua God says, no matter how devastating our struggles or disappointments and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the death or tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. The resurrection goes is proof, and it gives you and me a hope of a future glory. It doesn't mean that now in the present that all fears and all troubles will disappear. I'm thankful that we have the Holy Spirit who will help us, who will comfort us, who will guide us. And those moments are challenging. But what it does do is it promises us that one day there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. There is a hope of a future eternal glory. Paul says and we believers also grown even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we still long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including including the new bodies he has promised us. So what is this hope of future glory? Well, first of all, one day we will experience full rights as adopted sons and daughters of God. Right now, we, we, we see through a glass dimly. We're not experiencing that fully now, but when we see Jesus face to face, the resurrected Christ, we will experience the full adoption rights as his children. What else do we have to look forward to? Resurrected bodies. How many of you are thankful for resurrected bodies? Uh, maybe some more than others, I don't know. But what Jesus promises, what Scripture promises, is that Jesus will, God will raise up what is sown in dishonor, what is sown in weakness. He will raise it up. And so, so the future hope that we have to look forward to because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have resurrected bodies to look forward to about the release from sin and suffering. I think that's one of the most beautiful promises and hopes that we have as believers is that one day there will be no more sin, no more suffering. And then how about the sword of creation? Paul even says the creation looks forward to the day we will join God's children in glorious freedom from death. Even Christ's likeness, John will say, we, it does not appear yet when we shall be, but when we see him, we shall become like him. 
Right now, we, we strive to reflect the character of Christ. Right now, we, we try to do what we can to reflect His character, and we're human beings, and we fall short. But one day, when we see Him face to face in that moment, it doesn't matter if we're down here or up here, we will reach and attain, attain perfection in the moment that you and I see Christ face to face. And then there is the promise, the hope, of eternal fellowship with God. For one day, we will be with the Lord forever. One day, all of us will gather around the throne of the room of God and worship the risen Lamb and the risen King. We will gather with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We will lift our hands in worship and praise as we honor the King. Talk about a beautiful hope, and that hope is only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This same Christ raised for us, it also gives us a missional witness. What I mean by that is just simply, it, it, it gives us the gospel, the good news, not to keep to ourselves, but to share it with others. I, I think I could ask everyone, one of you here, if something good happens to you, I think our tendency today is something good happens, um, if, something, if there's something you're excited about, maybe something your kids accomplished, or, or something you've achieved, I think our tendency today um, I think it's human nature if we want to celebrate that. Often we celebrate it, we, we put it on social media so others can celebrate with us the achievements, the successes, and, and what we accomplished because there's great joy in that. We want other people to know about, about this great thing that's happened in our life, in our family's life, or, or my son did this, or my daughter did this, and we want people to celebrate with us. And that's great. We should do that. But even more so, we should be excited about the incredible good news that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And we should desire for the world to hear about the resurrected Christ, the good news. Unlike other religions where their God or gods are dead or lifeless or just mere idols, we are witnesses of the resurrected Christ. He is not dead, but he is alive. Folks, that is something that is something to plaster all over social media. That is something to share with the world. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's alive and that he is for us and not against us. We have good news to share. We, we can't keep it to ourselves. We must share it with others. It was the life and death and resurrection that became the message of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the most parts of the earth. Paul even speaks of this life, death, and resurrection as being the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, uh, actually we're going to have, I'm still preaching, but next Sunday there's going to be a missionary that's going to share just for about five or ten minutes with us. Sarah Nelson is, a, is her name, missionary to the Congo, and she's going to share briefly about the good news, the gospel that she has been privileged and called to share, uh, specifically with teenagers uh, in in. Uh, the area of the nation of Congo. Christ raised for us gives us a missional witness. Number four, almost done. Christ raised for us, it paves the way for new beginnings. How many are grateful for new beginnings? Amen? Sometimes we, we need a fresh start. Sometimes we, we need a new beginning. Sometimes we need to kind of put the, the past behind us and really just move forward and focus on what is ahead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ it gives us and paves the way for new beginnings. Humanity can now fellowship with Christ. We have been made right with Him. 
both now and for eternity. We don't have to wait until we are in heaven to fellowship with Christ. We have the privilege now to have eternal fellowship with Him here on earth. Um, one writer said this, What did our Lord do by His passion, death, and resurrection? He bridged that gulf which existed in God and man, a gulf which can only be bridged by Him. We also know that our thoughts can be directed toward the eternal and not the temporal. Paul will say, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. He'll say, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't, we don't have to think about and reflect on, on, on our circumstances now, but we can think on the eternal. Think of what, what it would be like when we meet him face to face. And I think one of the most beautiful aspects of new beginnings here on earth is we can see that relationships can experience reconciliation. Yeah. told you I would talk about Peter. Uh, Peter was a guy that spoke often before really thinking through what he was going to say. Just kind of had a diarrhea of the mouth, basically. Um, and maybe some of you can relate to that. Uh, Peter was that guy. Didn't really think through what, what he was saying. Didn't really consider the, the ramifications of what he was going to say. He just spoke it. Got him in trouble quite a bit. Peter was also the guy that, that said when, when Jesus... Um, said that everyone was going to desert, desert him and leave him. And Peter's like, no, I'm going to go with you to the very end. And then Jesus looked at Peter and says, when the rooster crows for the third time, you will deny me. Or the rooster crows will have denied me three times. Peter ended up denying Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the shame and the guilt that Peter was wrestling with on Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified? He did not stick with Jesus to the very end. Said he denied him, even though the beautiful thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that Peter was given the opportunity for a new beginning. Fresh starts. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, disciples have been out fishing and brought in one day for fire and they were beginning to cook the fish that they caught. Jesus pulls Peter aside. He was probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to get it. He's going to let me have it. I denied knowing him, I abandoned him, I deserted him. There's no way that I deserve to be here. Jesus pulls Peter aside. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Yeah, I love you. I messed up. I, I didn't stick with you. And then be my sheep, Jesus says. Says that three times. A whole nother sermon, a whole nother point there, but, but Peter denied. Jesus three times, and Jesus would ask him three times, Peter, you love me. And that moment, Peter was restored. New beginning. Fresh thoughts. Had Jesus not raised, Peter would have still been wallowing in his shame and in his guilt. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not this Peter, but all of us in this room, all of humanity, we don't have to let shame and guilt and hurt have the final word. Restoration is possible. Reconciliation, not just with one another, not just with family, but also with God, is possible. The resurrection Christ raised for us paves the way for the beginnings. And I am so thankful, so thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and grateful that reconciliation and restoration is indeed possible. And finally, the bond worship team, you want to come? Really, the last point, there's no additional commentary that needs to be made. Christ raised 
for us demonstrates the mighty power of God. I don't think there's anybody else in this room that has the power or the ability to raise somebody from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates to all of humanity how incredibly powerful our God is. He's not some idol that's been fashioned together by human hands. He's not been carved out of wood. He's not an idol that's sitting on every street corner that has multiple names that, that, that people don't have a relationship with. He is a God who's powerful. A God who has created you, created me, created all of humanity. He is a God who is alive today. He was raised for us. The, um, one of the beautiful things about the power of God the resurrection is He brings to life that which is dead and He restores that which is broken. I want you to hear this this morning. Maybe you're here today and you feel lost. You feel spiritually dead. You feel broken. Maybe you're wrestling like Peter did with the shame and the guilt. You deserted him, you've abandoned him. You feel like you don't have a place in the family of God. You feel like you're too far gone to even reach. Here to remind you of the resurrection is proof of this today that no one is too far gone. No one is outside of God's reach. One of the things that I didn't explain this earlier, there are names that have been placed in these bowls by folks in this congregation. The names of loved ones, the names of co-workers, names of friends, neighbors, people that are maybe not serving Christ or not where they should be right now. And every single Sunday as names are taken out of that bowl, I love, I absolutely love watching the children come and grab names. Children are praying over the names that we put in these bowls, praying and believing that no one is too far gone. Doesn't matter what circumstances they've involved, doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter how far gone they may appear to be, no one is outside of God's reach. And the resurrection is a proof of that this morning. The resurrection screams to us today. That, that Jesus is within reach. He is raised for us. He is pursuing us and longs for relationship with us. The lyrics um, to the song we sang earlier, The Bridge, I want to put that up on here, Graves of the Gardens. Some of you may have heard the song before. But the bridge, listen to these words, you turn mourning to dancing. Give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. Folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that you need to be reminded of Christ has been. Is for us. He's alive to his empty. He is for us and not against us. Would you close your eyes for just a minute this morning?
just a couple of questions as we close together today. First of all, this is a question you have to answer just to you. Am I trusting in the power and the beauty of the resurrected Christ? Am I trusting in the one who is alive? Only you can answer that question, and if you're not, today's a great day. New begins, fresh start. It's a great day to say, moving forward, today, April 4, 2021, on this Easter Sunday, I'm going to move forward trusting, trusting in the resurrected Christ, trusting in His Word, trusting in His provision, in His protection, Trusting in all that he has to offer. Christ raised for us means that he keeps his promises, means that he offers us hope, he gives us a powerful witness, he paves the way for new beginnings, and he demonstrates his mighty power. With all my